Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hi, church. We're in the middle of a challenge called We Can Know Jesus. And this morning, I really do believe that there is an invitation for all of us to come closer to Jesus. And it's something that I've really wanted in this last season. I felt something stirring in my heart to be pulled closer to Jesus. But as we've been in lockdown, I have found myself also being pulled towards Netflix. And sometimes I find it really difficult to make the decision. And all too often in the last couple of months, I've given in to my flesh desires, caved, and gone for the easy route of watching Netflix as a distraction from everything else going on in my heart. And Netflix is something that I find fast, easy, and reliable, except it's only temporarily satisfying. It's not something that lasts, and that's where it becomes all too easy to binge watch things and you still find yourself at the end maybe not as satisfied. And it's uh, something that people with addictions always struggle with. This is why you want more and more and more. You crave more and more and more because you're not getting the same feeling of satisfaction that you did at the start. It's because it's all about temporary satisfaction. Jesus doesn't satisfy us like this because he didn't come for the temporary. He came for the everlasting. That's his agenda. And this is why our flesh can lie to us and say, well, Netflix is going to be easier. You're going to get way more relaxation out of that than you are out of Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come to give us relaxation like that. He came for something completely different. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus actually taught in John 10, 10, I have come that they, his sheep, may have life and have it to the full. And then Paul made this a part of his prayer for the church of Ephesus, that they would know the love of Christ and grasp how wide and long and high and deep it is, and then be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Fullness is not what the world thinks of when they look at the church, look at Jesus and his followers. People often just see a list of rules, do's and don'ts with more don'ts than do's. Are we killjoys when we follow Jesus? When I'm avoiding Jesus and choosing Netflix or some other distraction instead of spending time with God, it's usually a sign that there's something going on in my heart, some unmet or undealt with disappointment some assumption that I have about God, maybe that's not based on any real evidence, like he's angry at me and punishing me. And I know I'm not alone in feeling this way because there's a young man in the Bible who came to Jesus and went away disappointed. We can all experience this at times. Didn't happen to very many people. Most of the people who came to Jesus in the Bible went away healed and whole and ecstatic and spreading the good news everywhere. But there is the story of this one young man who came to Jesus talked to him and went away disappointed. Let's read that together. It's in Matthew 19. I'm going to read from verse 16 to 22. Now a young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
You'll note before Jesus answered the young man's question, he actually challenges the very premise of the question. Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. The young man has come to Jesus assuming that he must do things, good things, to get eternal life. And Jesus refutes this assumption by revealing that only one is good. It's God. He was pointing to the Father. That's what Jesus always did. Like the young man, we are daily carrying around assumptions that inform our behavior. And some of our assumptions are correct and based on good evidence, and some of them are not. There was a time a couple of years ago when I had a secret sin and I really felt convicted to confess it to somebody because the Bible says to confess to one another and you'll be healed. But I was really anxious about it. I had all of this concern that my friend I was going to confess it to would judge me, that it would change the nature of our relationship. I was already interpreting bad things happening in my life as evidence that God was punishing me. And I was really scared of that kind of being made worse by confessing it, bringing it out into the open. And all of these were assumptions that were not based on experience or evidence, really, not right evidence. And when I tested the assumption, took my secret sin, went and confessed it to my friend, I actually found freedom, freedom beyond what I thought would happen, freedom from shame, freedom from self-loathing. And I never imagined that I would feel so seen and understood and so close to God and to my friend. But what if I, what if my conviction had never overridden my assumptions, I would never have come into new levels of freedom and I would never have found a life lived closer to the fullness of God. The assumptions that the rich young man made didn't stop Jesus from answering the question. Jesus still answers the question even though he, the young man was technically asking the wrong question. And that's great news for us too because when we come to God, and maybe our assumptions are baseless and not really something like we're asking the wrong questions. It doesn't mean he's not, not going to talk to us. It doesn't mean he's not going to answer us. He still answers our questions. But if we come asking the wrong question, we might get disappointed by the answer. Because Jesus told the rich young man that what he had to do to be perfect, remember, this is what the young man was asking, how to be perfect, even though Jesus has just said to him, you can't be perfect. There's only one who is. And he answers him, you have to give away all of your wealth. And the young man goes away really disappointed. John Ortberg has said that the man was challenged to dethrone money. Jesus can't be enthroned on your heart when your heart already has a king. And this man's king was his wealth. And here he's being challenged to dethrone it and follow Jesus. Jesus was inviting him to transform his life, to gain life, to gain eternal life. And this was something that would have to permeate his life one moment at a time, one choice at a time, but it was overwhelming for the man because he was faced with this challenge of being perfect. And that's not actually what we're being called to do. We're being called to follow Jesus. Jesus is perfect, not us. So I want to ask you, what has been ruling your heart today? Maybe it's a troubling thought about the future, some kind of anxiety about what's going to happen in this new COVID season, and maybe that's been ruling your heart. Maybe you're like the rich young man and you want to be perfect. I know I daily struggle with having perfectionism enthroned on my heart and I daily am struggling to give that back over to Jesus and admit that he's the only one who's perfect. We can't escape our humanness and at various points in our days we're going to find something else enthroned on our heart. But we're asked to, by Jesus to daily follow him, to keep coming back to him. Now I just want to point out what happens after the young man walks away. 
Because Jesus says something that surprises his disciples. Let's read together in Matthew 19, verses 23 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is good news for us because whenever it seems impossible for us to perfectly carry out the commands of Jesus or to follow the call on our hearts, on our lives, that's good. Okay. Because it is impossible, but not with God, not when we are with God, because with God, all things are possible. Even one of the most inspiring missionaries in the Bible, Paul, said this in Romans, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Or in the words of John Ortberg in his book, Eternity is Now in Session, you will never say and do the right thing by trying to say and do the right thing. You will never do the right actions by trying to do the right actions. And this is true even about our walk with God. You won't be able to draw near to Jesus just by trying to draw near to Jesus. But we have this incredible invitation to keep following Jesus, to keep choosing to follow Jesus. And what is impossible for us by ourselves becomes possible when we are with him. The invitation isn't to walk a perfect path alongside Jesus. It's not to be perfectly like Jesus either. It's to be with him along our imperfect paths and to invite him into our imperfect lives. Let's look at three ways that we can draw closer to Jesus today. The first one starts with recognising who is good and that there is only one who is good and we all fall short of the one who is good. This is something the rich young man did not realise when he came to Jesus. There is only one who is good. It's God. And we shouldn't seek to attain equal status with the one who is good. We shouldn't try to be perfect. What follows is then a second realisation. We all fall short of him. And this is the definition of sin. King David described the wicked in Psalm 36 as being people who flatter themselves too much to detect or see their own sin. The key is that we identify our sin. But King David wrote in another psalm, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me. It can be difficult to see our own blind spots. They're blind spots. I've been on a path for years trying to uncover hidden things in my heart. I walk, walk with close friends. I've even seen a psychologist at different points. Prayer counselling, various courses can help you. But actually a great place for us to all start is with a prayer. And there's one at the end of another psalm written by David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When the Holy Spirit brings something to your attention, I would encourage you to confess it to one another, to someone who is safe, connect pastor or a close friend. Because it says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And just remember that if you, like me, have some assumptions about God being angry and wanting to punish you or, you know, bringing down judgment on you, just remember that there is freedom on the other side of forgiveness. I can testify to that. It's freedom beyond what you think is possible. 
The second point I want to uh, bring up is that we need to let go of what used to rule our hearts. It doesn't stop with just recognizing who is good. We're also called to to dethrone whatever it is that's in our hearts to make room for Jesus. The rich young ruler, the rich young man found something more than what he was bargaining for when he came to Jesus and he couldn't dethrone money. He found that too difficult and he walked away. Jesus actually modeled how to do this. And Paul points out in Philippians 2, 5, 8, exactly how he did this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul emphasizes that even though Jesus did not grasp at what was rightfully his, because he had every right to consider himself equal with God, he was God but he waited for God to elevate him. He didn't try to attain it. Christ gave up his divine status in obedience to God, something that was rightfully his. So what is it that we are being called to give up? The rich young man was called to dethrone money. What is it that is on your throne of your heart that you're being asked to give up? Is there something that comes to mind? And when you think about it, does it feel impossible to give it up? Good, it should. Now you're starting to realize that there's only one who's perfect and we can't draw near to him without him drawing us near to him. It's a bit circular, but this brings me to my last point. If we abide with Christ, a lot of what is impossible for us is going to become possible. And in fact, unity with Christ is the key here. And this is how Paul starts this passage in Philippians. Before he says to be like Christ, he says, if you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ. This is the key. It's not something you have to go out and try to accomplish on your own. We accomplish it when we are united with Christ. So let's look at how that might happen. Jesus actually gave us a beautiful metaphor for how to be united with him. He says in John 15, 4 to 7, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gets a bit repetitive then in verses six and seven. So we know this is important. He especially explains it in reverse, emphasizing what happens when we don't abide. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. John Ortberg says that this is where a lot of people get God wrong. They think, oh, the branch's job is to produce fruit. But it's not. It's actually the reverse. The branch's job is to continually receive life from the vine, to abide. The fruit is just a byproduct of abiding on the vine. The vine is the one doing the work, and the vine is Jesus. We are in danger of getting God wrong when we assume that abiding with Jesus is just another thing on our to-do list, another thing we need to work on. We just need to do it development style, self-development style, and we'll be right. We might be tempted to think that in addition to everything else we need to do, now we need to memorize scripture or God won't be happy with me. But in truth, we can't produce 
meaningful fruit in our lives by sheer force of will. It just won't work. Not even if we have good self-care routines. This should be relieving to us because Jesus has another way, a better way. It is inevitable that words abide in us. Words always with us in our thoughts and these words form us from the inside out. So as John Ortberg points out, Jesus is not really calling us to add something to our to-do list. He's calling us to do what we're already doing in a different way rather than random thoughts, haphazard thoughts or intentional thoughts that we've conjured ourselves or from the world. He wants us to meditate, to dwell on Jesus's words, that his words would abide in us. There's already words abiding in us. We're just going to change what they are. We can practice aligning our thoughts with Jesus's thoughts when we're choosing what to think. And the idea is that we get to be with Jesus then. Think about it like this. When you spend time with someone, what's going through your mind? If you're really present with another person, if you're really there in the present moment, then what you're thinking about is them. You're thinking about the person there at the forefront of your thoughts. That's what it can be like with Jesus on a daily basis. But what does this really look like in practical terms? Because we all get distracted by things that happen, our own thought lives intrude all the time, and we're still meant to be our own person. So what does this actually look like? Well, again, John Ortberg suggests that we can start each day by invoking God's presence. Pray through the Lord's Prayer, line by line, slowly. Then walk through your plans for the day and invite God to be with you in each one of those plans. And then form a conscious intention. Say to yourself, even out loud, today I will abide on the vine. And if at any point in the day you find yourself no longer abiding on the vine, something other than peace has come into your heart, then just get back on the vine. None of us are perfect. We're all going to need to keep getting back on the vine. And you know what? The vine isn't going anywhere and it's patient. I would add that personally I find it very difficult sometimes to even want to be meeting with Jesus because something like Netflix or some other distraction just seems so much easier. That's usually a sign that there's something in your heart that's undealt with. Maybe an assumption about God wanting to punish you or you want to punish yourself for something you know you did wrong or you just feel like you're too imperfect to be close to God or God's angry with you. Maybe you're just disappointed about something that happened in the past that didn't meet your expectations, just like the rich young man was. Whatever it is that's holding you back, today there's an invitation to check in with your heart about that and to come closer to Jesus because he's the one drawing us all closer to him today. So uh, if this is your first time drawing near to Jesus, and even if it's the millionth time, because we all need to be doing this daily, sometimes multiple times a day, I just want to reassure you that we can still come back to Jesus regardless of what's going on and there is freedom on the other side of this. So let's pray together through the Lord's Prayer, just really briefly, just a brief version. I just want to show you what this can look like in your day-to-day. Let's start with the first line, our Father, because He is a good Father. Think of the most tender and beautiful picture you can conjure of a Father. Remember that the Heavenly Father loves you with a perfect love. It's not a love that you could have ever known from an earthly parent. It's perfect love. And just think about that picture. Our Father, hallowed be your name. God, help us to realize today how other you are from us, how different you are, how far apart you are from our realm and our reality and experience. When your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom is near and it is a place of peace 
and joy everlasting, no matter what strife is here on earth, your kingdom is drawing nearer and nearer with solutions. And now if you're willing today, say with me, I will abide on the vine. Say it, I will abide on the vine today. And just remember, it is a good vine. It's a patient vine and it's not going anywhere. During the next worship song that's about to play, you might want to take some space and time to ask the Holy Spirit to draw you nearer to the vine, to help you to abide on the vine. Maybe you want to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any hidden parts of your heart that need to be dethroned in order to make more space for Jesus so that you can really be with him. And maybe you want to talk to Jesus about any kind of hesitation that you've been having recently about coming near to him and ask for his help on that. Because it's not something you're meant to do alone and it's not something that you're meant to do perfectly. But there's space here and now for us to all come back to him and to draw near to him. It's my prayer that today and for the next week, coming weeks, that you'll be able to find space in your life to draw closer to God.